Welcome again, third or fourth welcome. Uh, my name is Chris Lane, and uh, in case you've never been to the vineyard before or, or don't know anything about it, we're a denomination. In fact, this church has been here 25 years, and so this is a special year for us. And, and uh, you know, what we believe is the time-honored, you know, traditional uh, Christianity. It's just that we express it in a contemporary way. So. You know, if things sound familiar, don't be surprised, but the context may be a little different. But anyway, without further ado, let me pray, and then we're going to just teach from the scriptures for half an hour. Father, I want to say thank you for for this opportunity to just share your word. And I pray, Lord God, that I would do it justice. Lord, uh, surely I I want to be engaging, uh, perhaps entertaining. uh, But most of all, Lord God, I pray that what I say would be effective and And I ask, Lord God, for the help of your Holy Spirit that you would empower me to communicate in such a way that will go past the ears and direct to the heart. And Lord, you know each and every one of us. There's nothing hidden from us. There's nothing hidden from you, Lord God, I beg your pardon. Nothing hidden from you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would meet each and every one of us just where we are, be it near or far, and all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, uh, just before Easter, we began a series called Life Wins, and uh, last week, um, Fliss, myself, and a number of us were away on a residential weekend. We were training our church planters. We're hoping to send out three church plants this year. We've done several in the past, and this being our 25th anniversary year, we're looking forward to doing that. So Fliss and I were doing some training with those guys. Wonderful weekend. More about that next week. But uh, Dennis was up here, and he taught about uh, the story of one of the uh, resurrection experiences that the, the disciples had. Jesus, we believe, died on the cross on Good Friday for the sins of the world. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And the next few weeks, six weeks uh, to be exact, were were punctuated with what we call resurrection appearances, times when Jesus appeared. And Dennis preached last week and and spoke about an occasion when there were a couple of guys walking along to uh, Emmaus, and uh, suddenly Jesus was with them, and they had an encounter with Jesus. And in fact, they were so excited at the end of that that they ran back to Jerusalem where the disciples, Jesus' closest friends and allies were, just 11 of them at that stage, and uh, they kind of burst in upon them and said, guess what, we've seen Jesus too. And they were relating their story. We're going to pick that up now and I'm going to read three little blocks of scriptures, make a couple of comments and then we're done. So let's begin then in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 33. Thank you, Matt. So they got up, these two guys, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven, and those who were with them, assembled together and said, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Great story, great hubbub of, of excitement. Whilst they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it 
and ate it in their presence. Wow. I love this story. I love the way it's written. It's so real. It's so sort of, you know, just the way it would be. So you get the picture. These two guys have come back. They've just seen Jesus. They're talking to the disciples saying, look, we've seen Jesus. And they say, we know, isn't it amazing? He's alive. And then suddenly, bang, he's there in their midst. You know, the doorbell doesn't go ding dong. There's no knocking at the doors. Suddenly, he's there in their midst. And I love the way Luke reports it. He said, they thought they'd seen a ghost. I, I mean, I just think that's fantastic. I mean, that's just where I would have been. I, I'm, I'm sure you too. You, you just can't get your head around it. You know, you, you know the, thing, the way things work or think you do. And suddenly, there is Jesus in the very midst. They're talking about him and suddenly he is there. And I love the way he greets them. It's the traditional Jewish greeting of the day. Peace be with you. And they need that. There's a, there's a sort of sense of you know, propriety about him saying, peace be with you. But they actually need to know his peace because they're scared witless. Whoa, it's a ghost. And he knows what they're talking about. He knows why they're scared. And he says, look, what's the matter with you guys? I'm not a ghost. Look, you know, see my hands? See, see my feet? You know, touch them if you want. And they're still going, Wah. And then he says, um, what do you got to eat? And so they give him a piece of fish and he eats it. And they kind of watch and chew. I can see them, they're sort of chewing. And then they see the Adam's apple go up and down and he swallows it and they think, my gosh, what is this? I had to laugh on a Friday. We went to a friend's house and they've got this lovely old black Labrador and there were loads of kids going crazy and they had a sort of sausage and beans tea. And... Uh, the dog, bless his heart, was in the kind of utility room with a, with a child gate across the doorway to keep the dog in there and away from the kids. And the dog has got his nose pushed through, you know, watching us eat these sausage and beans. He's like watching every mouthful. Anyway, somebody, not supposed to, but I won't say who it was, but uh, somebody takes a bit of this sausage and tosses it over the fence into, and the dog woofs it up. But that was the, almost the worst thing we could possibly do because the dog then, you know, sat watching everyone's mouth and he was drooling. His mouth was watering. Watching us eat this with an intensity. Watching us eat these sausages. And that's how, not drooling, you know, not drooling, but that's how I think the disciples watched Jesus eat that fish. You, oh my gosh, he's eating that fish. He can't be a ghost. I love the reality of it. You know, it's not stained glass windows and, you know, sort of saints. And with, it's very real. And that's the lovely thing about these stories of the resurrection. There's a reality about it. There is a certain amount of joy, yes, of course. But there's confusion and it's it difficult to get your head around. And Thomas, as you know, many of you will know, he said, I, I can't believe it until I actually put my hand in his side. And one day Jesus calls him account and says, try it. There you, there you, you want to put your hand in my side, Thomas? Or is this side? Or is it that side? Do it. And there is something that needs to be noted here. Jesus, after his death and with his resurrection, has a new quality about him. It's a new way of life. That might be the title of this talk. A new way of life. Because this resurrection body is different to the old body. 
Our bodies and Jesus' body before his death were confined to time and space. We can't walk through walls. We can't appear here, there, and everywhere willy-nilly. We have to ring doorbells and ascend stairs and all the rest of it. But following on from Jesus' death and resurrection, his new resurrection body is different. Not confined to time and space. He can appear here and he can appear there, and he does. But as he appears, it's not as a ghost. As he appears now, he is flesh and blood. And this is one of the, the, one of the pillars of the good news, the gospel we call it, the Christian faith system, is that yes, we will die, but as followers of Jesus, we will be raised to life on that great day. And we will have resurrection bodies, not the old body. You might be relieved by that, by the way. You won't just come, I mean, I'm getting to the stage where I'm beginning to get this rather handsome and dignified paunch. Nobody deny that. But I'm hoping that when I'm resurrected from the dead, that actually it'll be the best version of me. Hands up if you would like that to be the case. Yes, I think we're at one there, and I think it will be. We will be recognizably us. We won't be some kind of like angelic, floaty thing. It'll look like Chris, and it'll look like Vanessa, you know? And it'll look like Barbara, and it'll look like Mike, and it'll look like Howard. And yet, we will be in resurrection bodies. The scriptures actually talk about Jesus being the firstborn from among the dead. The new life that is to come. Eternal life will have will have many, many added qualities, but it will be recognizably the best of this life. I find that exciting, because the older I get, there are things about this life I appreciate. Relationships and friendships, of course, loved ones. But I do enjoy a sunny day like we had yesterday. I do enjoy the trees, the wildlife. Got a couple of robins nesting in our garden at the moment. I am, I'm just sort of, totally obsessed with these things, aren't I, darling? I'm worried about the cat climbing up and getting them, the kids going too near. To... I just love this sort of little taste of new life and feel protective about it. And the life to come will be the very best that there is and more. Turbocharged, if you like, and more. And what Jesus models here in this room is the first manifestation of that new life, a resurrection body not confined to time and space, but able to enjoy and appreciate and live full of life in the present. And so it goes on. Let's have a look at the next little bit of scripture. Uh, Where are we? 44, thank you, Matt. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was not dealing with religious ignoramuses. He was dealing with good Jewish men and women who'd been raised in the, in the tradition of their fathers, their mothers. They'd been raised in the faith. But the reality was that they had been raised, and it's very interesting the way that Luke should itemize it in this way. They had been 
raised in the three pillars of the Judaic faith. So for example, first pillar of their faith was the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and that so attended it. They had been raised from their, their mother's knee, they'd been trained in that. And the law, of course, was that Ten Commandments, that gift of law and governance that God gave to the Jewish nation. And it made them distinctive. It set them apart as his people. It dedicated, the word dedicated means to be set apart for God's purposes. And the fact that they received the law set them apart. It dedicated them to be God's and to live for God and to manifest his kingdom on earth. That was the idea. The prophets were really, was that record of messengers sent by God to call his people to account. Because it was one thing to receive the law, to know how to live righteously, it was another thing to do it. And if you know your Bibles at all, you will know that actually the Jewish nation strayed. They kept going hither and thither, and God had to keep calling them back. And the way he did that was through his prophets. He would send these old, you know, old guys, hairy guys. Think of you know, Charlton Heston in some sort of Hollywood epic, you know, going to God's people and saying, return, come back to me. And the reason why that the young people, the children were trained in the prophets was that they needed to understand that it was, it was one thing to get God's law, it was another thing to live it. And in fact, by and large, the children of Israel had failed, which is why they found themselves subjugated at this point in time to the Romans. They weren't living in that blessed state that they hoped for, that had albeit very briefly been the case when David and Solomon were kings, but it soon, soon degenerated into war and difficulty and, and, and a whole host of problems. So these young Jewish men and women would learn that God gave them the law. Because they couldn't live up to it, God sent the prophets. And thirdly, there were the Psalms, part of what the, the scriptures were called the writings. And the Psalms are wonderful songs of praise and worship, but they're also the record of ordinary men and women struggling with faith and failing and crying out to God for mercy. And it gets very intense, very personal, sometimes even quite disarmingly so. And so, there's this wonderful, intimate, if you like, application of, of God's law to the individual. And that's what you see in the Psalms. So they'd been trained in that. The trouble was, they were trained by people who'd been trained, by people who'd been trained, by people who'd been trained, by people who'd been trained. And they saw the whole of Scripture with one worldview. And in doing so, they missed other bits. What Jesus was about to do was to give them a whole new worldview based upon the same set of evidence, but they just didn't see it that way. Let me see if I can give you an example. My wife and I, Fliss, we've been married for over 40 years now. I got that right, didn't I? Thank you. We've been married for over 40 years. And I remember when I met Fliss for the first year or so, uh, we were just part of a, a group of about 20 or so, 25, relatively small group of students at a London Arts and Drama College. 
And Fliss was well known uh, in that she was very hospitable and we always used to go around to her flat in, in sort of uh, West Kensington and, and we used to party there, Fliss shared this with her, her sister and uh, we used to have great times around there. And, and it was just great fun. And then about 12 months in, I don't quite know what happened, but I know this. I woke up one morning, and I don't know whether I had a dream or whatever, but I woke up one morning and I thought to myself, I cannot face life without Felicity Ingham, as she was known then. I'd gone to bed and she was, I wasn't even thinking about her, she was part of the crowd. But something changed in me. I saw the same Fliss, the same person, but I suddenly, my, my world recalibrated. And I saw her in a different light, not just as one of the crowd and a pal and a hospitable person, somewhere you could crash if you were out in town and miss the lake train and this kind of thing. Suddenly I thought, I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman. So I did the, the right thing. I went and told her, and she was horrified. <laughs> it was definitely not part of her plan. And that was a slight problem, because I thought she would be very excited about that possibility, but uh, she came round in the end. <laughs> Don't look at me, look at my eyes, look at my, gotta keep, keep this thing up, you know. It's a simple example. We've had moments like that where, where you know, you, you think, you see the world in one way and then something happens and you see a person or a set of circumstances ostensibly the same in a new way. So Jesus, knowing how these disciples viewed the world and why wouldn't they, that's what they'd been taught, that's what they understood, that's how life hung together. Suddenly, he's blowing their minds, excuse that old 70s expression, but suddenly, he's really messing with their heads because he was dead, no doubt about it, but he is alive, no doubt about it, and dead people don't come alive, do they? Or do they? And the reading, as it says here, he, what he does is he begins to explain the same old, same old, same old scriptures that they knew so well, and he says, don't you get it? It says in the book, it, it says in your book that the Messiah, God's own son, is going to die for the sins of the world and then rise again on the third day. It's in the book. And you can almost hear their minds even now, 2,000 years on, they're going, what? Where does it say that? Click, 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 it does. How did we miss that? How did they miss it? Because he told them two or three times before he died it was going to happen, but they just didn't get it because it didn't compute. But now they're faced with this resurrection body, Jesus. Suddenly, the world is a different place. They've really got to get their heads around it. And Jesus goes on to say, in response to the Messiah dying for the sins of the world, the Son of God, Jesus, dying for the sins of the world, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached. You see, there comes a point in time where not just Jewish disciples in some upper room in Galilee or wherever they are, but every single one of us has to come to that point in time where we either accept or deny that God has died for us. That Jesus, who is the Son of God, 
hung upon that cross, not just because he got it wrong and then came to a sticky end, but he hung upon that cross for the sins of the world. And that means my sin. Jesus died for my sin. When that was, it wasn't even explained to me the first time I ever heard that. It happened by accident. It was an off-the-cuff remark that a history teacher made at the beginning of a lesson. I wasn't a Christian, wasn't raised as a Christian, couldn't care less about Christian. My father was antagonistic about Christian. That was my world. And he just tossed this thing out. But it was like tossing a hand grenade over a wall. And it went bang in my life. It staggered me that, the, that God, you mean God would die for my sin? That he would, he would, take, he would take the hit for me. I just found that a staggering thought and an uncomfortable thought because quite frankly I, didn't, frankly, I didn't want to get religious or anything like that. I, it wasn't part of my plan. But the thing is that when we begin to realize that Jesus has died for the sins of the world, died for you and me and is alive, a response is required. It may be, no, thank you, no, 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 oh boy, I wish, thank you. Or like me, and like so many millions of others, it elicits a response, and the response in me is a recognition that suddenly, if that's true, if, if Jesus has died for my sin, then I don't need to hide anymore. I don't need to blag it anymore. I don't need to blame shift anymore. I don't need to always be right, and the other bloke has to be wrong. Because after all, you know, I don't have to do any of that game anymore. Because suddenly I can take responsibility for my stuff and say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, okay. Guilty as charged, yeah. And I can afford to do that. Because the next part of the equation is that the gospel is not just about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not just about you and me repenting, turning away from that, recognizing our guilt and asking forgiveness. It is the gift and experience of forgiveness. Because God responds to our repentance with forgiveness. We fess up, and he says, I forgive you. And more than that, you know how we had this family thing going on there? Suddenly we step into his world, not just as runners, not just as escapees on the run from the wrath of God, but we step into his world where we're welcomed as sons and as daughters, and we find a true dignity based on our position in him. Last little section. Last passage, thank you, Matt. Uh, what's that? 44 to 47. Uh, is that right? Where am I? 48. Thank you very much. Great. So Jesus says, okay, now I've opened your minds. Now you, you've got a bit of homework to do there, guys. He says the, in so many words, you need to check the scriptures, but it's what it's there. You just missed it because you weren't trained to see it. Your worldview has to change because you do not have all the facts. But in the light of that, Jesus says to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. You've seen it firsthand. You've experienced it. 
he says to the disciples. And he says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. A little note that I like, it may not sort of excite you, but I love the way in Luke's gospel it begins in the temple, it finishes in the temple. So something nice about that. That's, you know, whatever, make of it what you will. But anyway, what he says to them, he says, listen, my time here is coming to an end. I'm going to go back to go home and be with Father. And you are going to tell people about this. And sometimes that's going to be received well, and other times it's not going to be received well. But before you go rushing off, just wait on me a bit, because I'm going back to my Father, and I'm going to send you that which the Father has promised. All I really want to say about this at the moment is that following that occasion when I... You know, that hand grenade was tossed over the wall. That was the illustration I used by my history master. Suddenly, I, it opened my eyes to a new way of viewing God and the world and me in it and all that kind of stuff. I gave my life to Christ. I tried to live a Christian life. I, I went, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I, I guess many of you will be able to identify this. I didn't know any better. I just went to the local church. I'm not even going to tell you which denomination it was. I took myself off as, as 12 years of age. and It was, gives you an idea of the impact that this had on me in those. But I struggled. Oh my gosh, did I struggle. I couldn't make head or tail of what was being preached. Maybe you're thinking that same thing this morning. I couldn't make head or tail of it. I wanted to put my hand up and ask questions. But this was a church that could seat 700 people and there were about 11 of us. And it felt incredibly exposed and conspicuous. And I, 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 I you know, I... I began to struggle and struggle with faith and there was no kind of wonderful baptism classes or Kev Nash or Richard Gathard or all these other lovely people we have here who you know, serve and make this what this place is. It was a pretty lonely place, I have to say. And by the time I was in my mid-teens, you know, having really just basically been told to listen to the priest and obey, I just couldn't get it. And I was pretty upset and I was pretty angry. I, the religious jargon is I fell away. And I fell away big time. And it wasn't until in my, my 20s that really unsought for by me, I have to say, God, because he is alive and he is real and he is personal and he is present, as God began to impact me again, I began to have a new worldview change. And the worldview change was that there was this thing called the promise of the Father. And nobody had taught me or explained, but it involved power and presence, and it gave the means to live out the Christian life. And I'd been trying to live out a Christ, as a Christian life without the power, the promise of God. And if you want to know more about that, I'm going to teach on it next week. And if you can't make it, okay, it's going to be on the podcast and on the video thing. You can catch up on that. But Jesus said to them, You've seen it all now. You, I've, I've, you need to wait, though, until you receive power from me. Otherwise, you're getting a right pickle. So go back to Jerusalem, and shortly I will send you the promise of the Father. And after that, game on.
So there you have it. Another resurrection experience. The new life of Jesus in this resurrection body that is, defies the, the constraints of this mortal world that we live in. And yet exudes the power and the strength and the vitality of God and promises us the same. It's a new way of living in, in, in a new way of understanding the world as we view it, not just as they view it, with God at the very center of it. It's a new way of living in that we all get to play. It's not just sitting there watching the holy man do his thing and trying to get a grip on what he's doing and what is he doing. It's a, it's a thing and a place where we all have a part to play as sons and daughters, not just as pew fillers and feet siller, uh, seat fillers. It's a place where God has a plan and a purpose for us. And this world as we know it begins to make a whole lot more sense. So anyway, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Thank you for your attentiveness. I'm going to just invite you to stand and pray. I'm going to sort of pray a little prayer for us, and then we're almost done. But please would you stand. I'm just going to pray. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I want to say thank you that it's not just about power. There's great joy in this. Actually, the, that joy which the, the world cannot steal from us, the extraordinary reality, the revelation, if you like, that you love us and that you've died for us, that there is power in your promise for us, that you, you give us your presence and you give us, as you said, Jesus, a peace which passes all understanding. Jesus stands among us now and says, peace be with you. And so we thank you, Lord, as we continue together on this journey. And we pray that you will open our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our ears to a new way of living. And all for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Amen.